welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slody. And joining me uh, this afternoon, I've got um, an activist who is the um, Youth Statewide Organizing Director of Voces de la Frontera, uh, an organization that fights for immigrants' rights and low-wage workers. And uh, we're going to talk about her uh, her passions and why she does what she does, uh, as it is very important work. So uh, I want to welcome Alejandra Gonzalez to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. How are you? All things considered, I'm doing quite well, actually. I'm very, I think, very fortunate, right, um, to still be employed and to have the ability to work from home. Um, our family is is healthy. Um, everybody is safe. So I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. Um, those are those are some real blessings for sure. Yes. Um, what have you done today so far? Meetings. Um, so just regular meetings. Um, our uh, Youth Empowered in the Struggle, which is the program that I oversee at Voces de la Frontera, is organizing and abolish ICE uh, and defund the police protest. It's a, a black and brown solidarity march on September 5th. So getting the information out on that, uh, tying down the logistics with the students and, and really working with them on how to move forward with the event. Um, so yeah, this is usually what my day looks like. <laughs> awesome, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. So you can probably expect us to be there because um, Perfect. <laughs> that's very important. Those are important causes we fight for as well. Um, so um, solidarity. Yeah, no, I'll send you the event details. Awesome, please do. Um, so uh, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we examine love and fear, passion and creativity. And Alejandra, this is our first time meeting and I'm very excited because I've been following your work for the last year. And um, I've been somewhat familiar with Voces de la Frontera, but I have yet to really speak to somebody uh, who's involved in the organization. And we will definitely get to that, but I would first love to hear a little bit about yourself and sort of your story. Like, um, where did you grow up? Like, um, what, I guess, led you into the, um, you know, various, because I know you've had several leadership roles in the past. Um, what kind of led you on this journey? Sure, yeah. So I'm originally from Mexico. Um, I was born in Michoacan um, and my family, family immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. Um, I was seven when we moved to Wisconsin. Uh, we lived in California for about two years. Um, my parents were migrant workers um, and we were undocumented. So it got to the point where it just got dangerous. Um, so we moved to the Midwest um, where there were more job opportunities and there wasn't as strong as, of a presence of, of um, deportation cases. Um, so I grew up without an immigration status, um, you know, for most of my childhood and, and young adulthood, I lived in this state of fear and anxiety. Um, it, our immigration status was not something that we talked about. Uh, and when I was in my 
junior year of high school. So I went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts. I'm a proud mm -hmm. NPS grad. Um, I was terrified actually to graduate. Like I just gave up completely with my studies. I didn't, I knew that I couldn't go to college. I didn't want to graduate because I knew that I would be out into the, like the quote unquote real world. And I wouldn't have the, the protections I had, you know, within my public school. Um, and then, you know, that just led to just a lot of self-harming behavior. Um, my early adulthood life, like in my early 20s. And then DACA happened, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And, you know, I used to say that DACA liberated me from these fears and this anxiety, but I think what it really was is seeing a group of undocumented youth coming out of the shadows um, and being brave enough to put themselves out there. And, you know, it was their movement that resulted in DACA. Um, and it, it, I just felt like it's, I need to do something too. I didn't earn this. Uh, but I'm going to keep fighting for more. And that's kind of what started uh, my involvement in activism. Um, before that, I was mostly, uh, I, I love theater. Like I, I went to school uh, at, at arts. I did theater and, and I love performing. Uh, but I figured that I could use the skills that I learned within the arts um, to better my community. And that's how it all began. I just started getting involved with Voces more. Um, shared my story, you know, I attended events um, back in 2016, um, the board, uh, County Board of Supervisors uh, were voting on the sanctuary um, resolution. So I, I made sure to give my testimony as well because it is important, right? I grew up on the south side of Milwaukee and I was driving without a driver's license throughout the city to work and, and support myself. And I needed to um, make sure that not only myself, but others in my community were protected as well. And so then one thing led to another and here I am now. <laughs> yeah, here you are. Um, when, so if you weren't doing the, the role that you're in currently, um, like do you think you would have like, like uh, done theater? I don't know. Um, I like mixing both. Um, my freshman year of college, um, so once I got DACA, I applied to go back to school and I um, went to Alverno College. And my freshman year, I worked with a local theater company, um, Cooperative Performance, to create a show about immigrant stories. Um, so I really like the idea of combining both my passions. Um, I know that in the uh, in the migrant farm workers movement, they did theater activism too. And that's something I really look forward to exploring with the youth in, in our organization. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I sometimes think about like, what would I be doing with my life now? Or sometimes I like think like, I wish I just had a normal life where like my immigration status was, wasn't such a huge part of it, right? Um, but I honestly cannot picture myself doing anything else. <laughs> I really enjoy the work that I do. I mean, it's it's exhausting and, and it can be like demoralizing, right? Especially under this administration. But I still find uh, power in it. You know, I, I find the fact that I can't vote um, doesn't mean I don't have electoral power. Like I have a voice, I can mobilize people to vote. I am not just left in the, you know, on the side of the road, like I do have power and I, and I can use that um, to gain benefits for myself and for others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
well, who are like your biggest like role models or inspirations growing up and to this day? Um, it might be cheesy, but my mom, <laughs> my mom and my grandmother, uh, her mother. So I was, you know, I was five when we moved to the States and I was really close to my grandmother as a child. Um, and even once we were here, you know, we still kept in touch and my grandma was just like, you know, the original community organizer in her, in her village, right? She like always opened the door for people. She, um, made sure to offer uh, any sort of resources that people needed. Like she and my grandfather, I mean, my grandfather died before I was born, so I never met him, but she continued that, um, that like uh, practice, right, of, of serving the community. And I really just looked at, up to her for that. I valued that. I valued uh, the approach of like kindness and, and servitude. Um, and my mother's the same way. Like she is the one everybody goes to when something's wrong. She's always there to listen. And, you know, I could put something on Facebook saying like, I don't feel good. And then my mom's at the door with a cup of soup. <laughs> She's that kind of person. And um, so I definitely look up to them uh, as far as how I interact with others and, and how I, you know, in, in this role of servitude, right? How I serve the community. Um, and then as far as like organizers go, um, there's so many local ones that I love and I just like fangirl over, like Angela Lang is one of them. Oh, shout uh, out to Angela. <laughs> yes, Marcelia Nicholson. Um, so I'm always just like, I just, I want to be like them, you know. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I really, it's just local, local actors. Christine Newman-Ortiz, like the fact that I get to work with her is pretty amazing and work under her is just like great. I'm always just like in awe. Um, and then of course there's um, Dolores Huerta, who's also super awesome um, and who kind of paved the way for women organizers. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, shout out all those people. And also I don't think it's cheesy. I, my mom is probably my biggest role model too. <laughs> oh, it's moms. Moms are the are the best, yes. Moms everywhere, you know. Um, so, um, what were so um, before you were in uh, Bosque de la Frontera? Um, what were some other organizations you worked with prior? Um, I've actually uh, before that, you know, I I, I worked with Ryan Clancy and and Not Becky Cooper Clancy. Yeah, um, I I used to um, work at Bounce. Um, because their values aligned with mine. Pizza's so good. I gained so much weight working there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their pizza is. Um, my partner and I uh, went to. Um, they were doing the drive-in movies for a while uh, this summer, and uh, we went to go see Shrek in the drive-in theater, and we got pizza and had the tater tots. It was so good. Oh my gosh, the granny baked potatoes. The best. And yeah. I always ask for like jalapenos on top. Ugh, I miss them so much. So shout out to them. <laughs> Seriously, big shout out, Bounce. So yeah, I, I worked with, with Ryan. Um, I don't know if you're, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the prawn. Um, yeah, yeah, he's been on the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, I, I haven't been as involved since I started working with Voces, but um, that was one of the first roles I took. Um, before that, it was mostly just um, 
school stuff, you know, like I started a yes chapter at Alverno. Um, there's the Shorewood Solidarity Network as well. Um, I used to be an Annie in Shorewood and I connected with some real cool group of people there, uh, local organizers. And we also have, uh, with the help of Christine, um, were able to pass the a sanctuary resolution there too. Very nice, awesome, super cool. Um, so, um, so I guess uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about from you, like what Voces de la Frontera is like truly about, like what its mission truly demonstrates and also, I'd love to hear more specifically, you know, what your role is and everything. Yeah, so I um, actually was hired before I graduated. Um, and it was one of those things where I, was, I wasn't sure if I would get hired because I was still in school, but it was the perfect role for me. Um, like I said, you know, I grew up undocumented and navigating through the world with no status was very difficult. And I know that there were a large group of, of kids that were left out of the benefits of DACA because of this administration. And I wanted to be in a role where I could provide them with resources and, and help them, you know, mentor them and guide them through it all. Um, and then of course, I was exposed to also children that live in mixed status families, um, maybe aren't aware of what their rights are or feel like they have no rights because they are just kids. Um, so it was, it, I mean, yes, Youth Empowered in the Struggle uh, really works on, I mean, it's in the name, empowering the students, um, really works on those leadership development skills uh, so that I always say, like, I want them to have the skills to take my job. <laughs> so we're really just uh, uh, creating these mini organizers, right? So that when they go out into the world, they have the ability, you know, whether it's to organize their communities, their workplace, their schools, you know, when they go off to college. Um, and they just have like the ability to advocate for themselves. I think a lot of times, you know, kids are told to shut up and sit down. Um, and that's, I mean, all of the, some of the best movements were led by, by the youth. Um, and it's really just uh, reinstating like that, that um, idea of empowering them. Um, giving them skills and, and the education, right? Because a lot of it is also political education um, to give them that confidence to advocate for themselves. Um, and then as far as Voces goes, I mean, I love, I love working for Voces. I mean, they, before I worked for them, you know, I was a volunteer. Um, they also helped my, my little brother was born in the United States. So when he was old enough to vote, they re registered to him to vote, mm. uh, which is really special. Um, you know, it was, it was a community resource for our family. And uh, we've always marched in the Dia Without Latinos uh, march, um, participated any way we could. What I really like about uh, the organization is that they look out for their members, um, especially on large events like that. Like as somebody without status, it could be a little scary to go protest, right? You don't know how things may escalate and, and if police involvement police involvement could mean your deportation. So they're very cautious of how, how they work. They, you know, they cross their T's, they dot their I's, um, which really means a lot to me because it allows people to still be engaged uh, politically, but safely. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, 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 no, you did, you did, <laughs> you did. Yeah, like just, you know, paving the way to just a better future and mm -hmm. better conditions for folks that are maybe undocumented or may, may otherwise be in 
you know, less than favor favorable conditions as a result of, you know, capitalism. Right. Yeah. Um, so that being said, how do you feel about like how the work that um, y'all you folks do with um, Posse's like how like immigrants issues and and um, things like low wage workers stuff like that like how it pertains specifically to Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean it all intersects, right? Like let's be real there are undocumented immigrants in milwaukee and they have to provide for their families so they're going to take jobs that uh put them in danger right that exploit them um that uh just take advantage of of their of their desperation um and it's a group of people that might not advocate for themselves because they believe they don't have rights they you know they they're like well if i say something you know i'm going to get deported um so that's where an organization like Voces is so important like especially right now we're organizing around essential workers uh rights um just recently we had an issue at a strauss meat factory right where people were or people were trying to organize undocumented workers were trying to organize to get ppe for that for that for themselves and um were eventually fired. Um, so we were able to come in and help negotiate negotiate a settlement um, to protect them and and to ensure that you know they can still provide for their families without endangering their lives. And I think that's really powerful. You know the fact that we can um, meet with a group of people and it's really magical too. Like you just kind of see the the look on their faces, like realizing like oh I do have the ability to advocate for myself. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do is, is, is educate people, let them know that they have rights and that they, ugh, they have, like people cannot be exploited. That's just, can I curse? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was like, that's just fucked up. Um, <laughs> it's, it's wrong. And um, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to not have lived those experiences, but I have family members that have. And sometimes it's just like, well, at least we're getting paid. It's like, no, it shouldn't be like that. Like you should, you should have safety features, like safety in your workplace, um, especially now um, more than ever. So yeah, I hope that answered. Yeah, yeah you, you did, you did, you did. Um, you're, you're doing great so far. Oh, thank you. And yeah, and you see uh, that's important, important uh, topics to shed light on, especially now in, you know, such a, you know, a, a bleak time for everybody but especially as it pertains to small businesses and low-wage workers it's like you see some milwaukee favorites for refusing to uh, you know fix unfavorable working conditions for their employees or they're they're not letting their employees unionize like i'm sure you saw what happened with collectivo what happened with comet, comet yep um in addition to a myriad of other places like businesses that are ignoring the mask mandates like yeah they're just, putting profit over people exactly like my work which i got laid off from like um you know they from what i heard from uh like past from what employees that are still there right now like i heard that instead of spending the ppe loan um on like giving their employees raises it's like they spent it on like you know 
more supply, like kitchen supplies, like things to benefit themselves and not their employees. And it's like, we're really seeing some of the true colors of some of these, these businesses. And, and like, you know, I'm, I'm a firm supporter of like, a firm believer of supporting local, but local small businesses are just as guilty of capitalist enterprise yes. and exploiting people. Yes as corporations are another big thing are uh landlords that are doing the same thing yep so fucked up yeah imagine imagine like evicting some like how how morally twisted someone could be to evict somebody who is out of work and uh, for, like doesn't qualify for unemployment or they're still waiting on their unemployment because there are PC people that are still mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. after five months and evicting them and leaving them out in the streets. Yeah. Fucking imagine that. Yeah. It's sick. It's really sick. Yeah. No, it's, um, even, yeah, it's just seeing like how people are justifying, you know, these, their actions for the sake of like the economy or or their own personal gain without like really looking at the effects of uh, individual lives right they they're looking at numbers they're not looking at people um, and it just allows them to I guess remove themselves from it I don't know I, it, yeah it's super fucked up yeah very um, so um, so I guess so if you're like so I know that, like, I, I know a little bit, you know, like, I've watched, like, I guess my knowledge goes as deep as, like, watching John Oliver, you know, like, about, like, learning about the the documentation process. So, like, how does it work? Like, I, it takes a really long time, like, an absurd amount of time. Yeah. It? Oh, my gosh. I always hear people say, like, well, you've been in this country for so long. Why don't you just get papers? It's like, if I could go over to USCIS and ask for a green card, I would. Uh, it's not like I'm just sitting on my fingers, right, waiting for something to be handed to me. If I had a pathway to citizenship, I would have taken that a long time ago. Um, so I, I actually also used to work at Soborowski Immigration Law um, as, a, as a case manager, because as someone who was like entangled in the immigration system, I really wasn't very familiar with it. So working under Melissa really helped me understand the process itself and how policy can really just affect um, your ability to, you know, quote unquote, fix your papers. Um, so in my case, I mean, the only pathway to citizenship I have right now is uh, getting married to a U.S. citizen or U.S. legal resident, which is messed up. It's like people shouldn't have to do that. Um, or um, if the DREAM Act were to pass, you know, the DREAM Act, I would grant me a pathway to citizenship. Um, so yeah, there aren't many options out there for people. You know, there's family migration, right? Like if I had a son or a daughter who was 21, they could petition for me, um, but I don't have any children. <laughs> um, it's also not just long, but it's expensive. Um, even if you, you know, are ready to go, you, you can't take that step without the money or you're missing certain documents. Like really what you're essentially doing where you, when you're applying for an immigration benefit, even for DACA, you're, you're trying to prove your humanity. Um, 
to some faceless person in an office, you know, and all they have to get to know you is this packet of papers. Like you can't submit videos. Um, it's really just your story written out. Um, and it sucks because there have been times where I'm listening to people's, um, you know, another way to get, this is really messed up, another way to get a pathway to citizenship is to qualify for a U visa. So what that means is if you were a victim of a crime um, and you work with the police, you know, to bring justice, you know, to yourself, or if you were a witness, um, you can qualify for that, right? So we have cases where people were victims of assault, um, sexual assault, physical assault, um, robberies, right? And so they're like telling me their story and I just really had to convey those emotions on a piece of paper and there've been cases where it wasn't enough um, and they were rejected, um, which is really unfortunate because like they clearly went through something traumatic and, and did everything the right way um, and this was like their only path and it, they were still blocked. Um, so yeah, if I become a victim of a crime, I could qualify for a U visa, but I also don't want that. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> it's just like, even the, when you, like, even the loopholes there are so obscure or they're just irrational, you know? It's like, why do you have to be a victim of, you have to be a victim of someone else's wrongdoing if you want this process to to speed up or something like that like yeah i just it's just so reprehensible and it it's also so oversimplified and uh, for you know and yeah there's just so many obstacles like even with marriage right which people say is like the easiest and fastest way like you have to prove that this marriage is legitimate and you're basically, yeah, like I said, you're exposing yourself completely to a stranger, right? You have to submit all of this proof. Um, I remember putting packets together of like uh, letters that people sent to each other or text messages, like that's so private, right? But you know, that, and sometimes people just don't even keep that. Like, why would I keep a text message from my partner that says I love you? Cause it might, you know, um, to prove that we actually love each other, it's just insane. It's crazy. It's invasive. It's very invasive. Yeah, really invasive. Yeah. Um, and even then, it's like, then you have to apply to, like, remove conditions. So it's, like, a really long, really expensive. Uh, if you don't have the right people representing you, it can, you can easily be, like, taken advantage of um, or lose out on your money, you know, like, if something goes wrong. Um, so it's one of those things where, like, people really have to be careful um, in how they start their process. Um, they need to make sure they have the right representation and that they're really understanding what the process is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess, uh, do you want to elaborate on, for those that aren't super familiar with it, like the DREAM Act, like what it would entail? Yeah, so the Dream and Promise Act, um, I mean, there's been various versions of the DREAM Act. You know, the first one was, uh, I think it was 2001. So what it does, it provides individuals like myself that were brought to this country as children a pathway to citizenship. Uh, but there are also, you know, requirements like there were for DACA. Um, so, I, you know, if you had graduated from college, um, if you had a good job, if, you know, were willing to join the military. So that, even that is just like gross. 
um, <laughs> that you have to do these things in order to gain, you know, a path. You have to be an agent of U.S. imperialism if you want to be a citizenship. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so that's what the DREAM Act is right now. The version of it on uh, that we have, the current version, is very similar to the requirements for DACA. Um, you know, you have to make, like, you cannot have any sort of criminal record. Um, it passed the House, but it hasn't come to the Senate floor because, yeah, people are awful and yeah. it just won't come to a vote. So we're hoping, you know, after this election season, the results are good and we can put more pressure on the new administration. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's another, again, I've been very fortunate that I have, you know, I, I check all those boxes. I check the like the good immigrant narrative, um, which is bullshit because people make mistakes and they should be allowed to be, make mistakes. And if they're really trying to like better their lives, why are you denying them that opportunity? Um, just because I have a college degree and, you know, another doctor recipient might not doesn't make them less uh, worthy of their ability to get a green card. Being a human. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That should yeah. be enough. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Being a human that like I I I identify myself as an American, right? Like I consider this country my home. Um, why isn't that enough? Isn't it also just like so like ironic that you being as like you like you and other undocumented activists are fighting more for like equity and like rights for people than like the exact people that live in this country that you know, are just like basking in privilege and uh, you know just living completely like self-serving lives and not doing anything to like not like not voting with the interests of like people struggling in mind like it's like for a, a country, which, by the way, is, I mean, it's stolen land, it's a settler colonial state, and, like, for a country that, you know, considers itself like land of the free and land of the, and land of liberties and freedoms and shit, it's like, you're, it's like, you know, people that might not even be here legally are doing more for you know, like helping our country or like contributing to our country and its values or its industries or its, you know, like its communities than the exact people that are trying to tell you that like you don't belong here. Yeah. And it's just so, it's such a, it's just such a contradiction, you know? Yeah. Like what being an American is about. Like being an American right. should be like. It really should be about liberty and freedom, but it's not clearly. It's not for many. I mean, you know, it's for communities of color, it definitely isn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I look at pictures of farm workers still working in the fields, you know, in the middle of a pandemic with a blazing fire behind them. Um, you know, really still trying to make this country run and still viewed as disposable. Um, I don't know, it can definitely get exhausting and I do need to take mental breaks sometimes. And that's when I go back to theater to, it was my original escape, right? When I was in high school, theater was my escape. Um, 
and yeah it's just it's really ridiculous especially like there's been cases where you have you know undocumented people like well my brother for example my oldest brother was also who was also undocumented um, when he was in high school he actually wanted to join the military but wasn't able to because of his status and like so you have people that want to serve this you know quote unquote serve their country and love this country enough to that like willing to do horrible things or die for it um, and are still not allowed because they're not viewed as American enough. And then you have Donald Trump who, you know, had bone spurs <laughs> and got out of it. Um, and that's, you know, and I only say that because that's usually what's used as like the example of a good patriot, right? Um, but yeah. 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 The, they call those chicken hawks. Yeah. It's a whole different conversation, but um, <laughs> so um, so uh, so Alejandra. Um, so I guess like you know, obviously the, the you know these are very like you know um, urgent issues to to bring platforms to and to advocate for not only in our our community but you know um, us as a nation of people because this is not a unique issue. Um, just to Milwaukee, like these these problems exist everywhere. Um, so that being said, like as far as like our community goes, like how can people support Bosa's de la Frontera? Yeah, I mean, connect with us. You know, right now our big focus is um, mobilizing the vote, right? Um, not just uh, the presidential election, but local elections too. You know, local representatives have as much of a, as an impact on our community than uh, the president does. So I think uh, the best way to support was the fund that is to become a member um, and just engage with our actions. Um, uh, you can follow our Voces de la Frontera page or Voces de la Frontera action on the work that we're doing on the ground. Um, right now, we are, you know, mobilizing people to vote. We're doing voter registration. Uh, we're doing census outreach, uh, voter education as well. And then, you know, having um, events like Youth Empowering the Struggle does where they're bringing attention to these issues um, like the ICE and how it functions as a, a Department of the United States, or Department of Homeland Security. Um, and how it terrorizes our communities. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess to answer your question is become a member and follow us on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, do you guys have uh, any events coming up besides the March on the 5th? Um, we do actually uh, this weekend, uh, we're doing another uh, voter registration caravan uh, on the south side of Milwaukee. So yeah, definitely tune in on how you can help. It's a lot of fun, it's like a moving block party. Uh, you know, people are riding their bikes and talking to neighbors and like the people in cars are like blasting music and honking their cars and making noise. It's, it's really cool. And you don't have to be Spanish speaking. You can, you know, you, you can be monolingual, you can be bilingual. Um, we definitely will take in any sort of support we can get. Totally. Hell yeah. We love to see it. We love to see it. I love, there's always been the caravan involved in like the marches or actions like I've are taken in um, this summer and they always spice it up. They make it a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I guess my last question is, um, and it's about ICE. Cause like, I don't know if some people just don't really like fully comprehend just like what ICE is. And like, 
not only what it is, but just like how it operates and like how it carries out like it's their their actions and stuff. So I guess like, do you want to like just describe for people that don't know like how ICE works, like what they do and like what it would mean if like, you know, someone, someone undocumented, like they like learned about or something. Sure. Um, if, I mean, I also just reference Immigration Nation on Netflix is also a good resource. Uh, but for me, ICE growing up was the boogeyman. Um, and it was funny because I've been watching Immigration Nation and was like kind of taken back to my childhood where like if you would hear a knock on your door, you know, my parents were working par parents. Um, my older brother and I were left home alone a lot. Um, you know, we were latchkey kids. So my mom would always say like, if somebody knocks on the door, don't answer it. You know, don't talk to anybody, just hide. And that's what we would do. Like, I remember like there would be a knock on the door and I would just hit the floor. Like, I'm not here, you know, uh, because that's what it was. It was uh, you know, there was this fear of, of people coming to your door and just taking you away. Um, they, it used to be that if you had a criminal record, um, you know, ICE could get a, a warrant to remove you from the country. Um, but then again, that word criminal, right, really depends on what's, how you define criminality. My yeah. existence in this country technically makes me a criminal. Um, driving without a license makes you a criminal. Um, so uh, now under the current administration, it's kind of just like whoever, right? <laughs> so if you live in a home with somebody that may have some sort of citation, maybe, you know, a DUI, um, and ICE comes to the door, tricks you, because that's what they do, they trick you into opening the door, um, not only will they take that person they came there looking for, but they'll take you as collateral as well. Um, and they, they actively do that. And it's just insane. Um, me, like under my DACA status, I technically, technically have protection from deportation, right? But if I fall out of that status, now this is given like with immigration, I have to let them know where I live. Like that's part of the agreement. Right, which is kind of like a, ugh. Yeah. so they know where I live. Um, so if I fall out of the status or if I fail to update them on where I live or whatever I may do, right? Like if I violate that agreement, I could be deported. Um, so it's really, really scary um, because now, especially now with DACA only being good for one year instead of the two, you know, you really have to be on top of when you're renewing so that you don't fall out of that status, so that you keep yourself protected. And that's somebody with protection. Um, and if you don't have protection, you know, I remember driving around the city and I had car issues and I was on the freeway and I pulled over and the police came to see if I needed help. And I said, no, thank you, because I was more afraid of the police than I was of driving in a car that wasn't functioning. Um, that's what happens when people don't have those protections is that they, they, don't, they won't ask for help because they have this fear of being removed. Um, there was always this constant, like, if I get pulled over, I'm going to get deported. I'm never going to see my family again because I was committing a crime. Um, so that's my rant on <laughs> And, and yeah, that's what they do. They, they separate families, they terrorize communities. Um, they can come in under the veil of like, 
getting rid of criminals, but we all know that that's just their excuse to really just terrorize immigrant communities. Man, that's almost like, I don't know like how to like respond to that information because it's just so fucking horrifying. Like absolutely terrible, like so scary. Like for one, it's like you sounded like from what you meant, it kind of sounds like it's like, so the government's tracking you. So you're not technically, you're like, you're not free. Like, no. So yeah, it's, that's one of like the agreements. If you don't let them know where you're living, then you could be deported. Um, yeah, they really, I mean, you know, I've seen comments of people saying that DACA recipients are like, you know, benefiting from a system, but we're not, all we really get is protection from deportation. You know, we don't, we're still being watched. Um, in order to renew, we have to, you know, check these boxes. You know, we can't have a criminal record. We can't, um, we, we just have to keep in touch with everything. And then on top of that, you know, we pay, it allows us to pay taxes, right? Like, we get a social security number to pay taxes but we don't benefit from that we're not able to receive any sort of federal aid of any sort um so yeah it never made sense to me why people were trying to get rid of daca because it's funded by the individual like we have to pay the 495 dollars you know every time we renew um and our, our only benefit is that we won't get deported holy shit well um I'm uh, gonna, I'm gonna like make sure that, you know, everyone hears what you just said. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember uh, 2016 election day, I just started crying. Um, and I remember people telling me like, it's not gonna be so bad. And it's been really bad. Yeah, I remember, so I studied journalism at UWM. And I was taking a reporting class at the time of the election at fall semester. And we had, like, I had that class in the morning. And uh, the day after the election, like, I remember we got assigned to, like, go around the UWM union and ask people about what their reactions were. And um, we walked into the Eighth Note coffee shop and uh, we spoke to a woman who she was just kind of sitting there. She didn't seem like she was like, you know, she was kind of unsuspecting, like just minding her own business. And like, you wouldn't have guessed like the story she would tell when we asked her, like, cause she immediately like told us, I'm horrified because I work in MPS and I work with a bunch of, with a lot of undocumented kids. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm so afraid of what's gonna happen to them. And she broke down crying, like literally while, it's like, I felt, I felt so uncomfortable with the job I was assigned to do that day. Like I'm treating this, I'm doing this for a grade 
to like have a microphone and a camera to talk to people about how they're afraid for their communities or for their own survival right now. And I'm just like, I felt just so like, I felt like disgusted with myself that like, I'm just doing this because I was told to by yeah. a teacher when there's legitimate fears and terror going on right now. That was, that was the gloomiest day of, of college, like ever. And with good reason, because like, yeah, that was just, that's just a day I think is just burned into many people's memories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, like you said, you know, with the work that Vosis is doing, like hopefully this coming November, we've mobilized and uh, we get 45 the fuck out. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he'll be in prison one day. Hopefully. <laughs> Ideally, but, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I think there was one hopeful thing I saw, like even like a lot of Republicans aren't supporting him this time, which I think is like, I don't want to get my hopes up obviously because that fucked us over in the past, but if that is true, then that is encouraging that maybe mm -hmm. we have a we have a chance here. So Alejandro, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I was it was a real pleasure. I appreciate it. You bet. Um thank you for sharing all your stories, being vulnerable and bringing light to issues that we cannot afford to ignore if we want to do the right thing as a community. So um, as we close out, tell me what keeps you up at night. Oh, um, like fears or? It can be whatever, however you interpret it. I mean, people have oh, said fears, people have like said something silly or lighthearted. But... <laughs> um, I'm actually a really good sleeper. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess. I mean, I'll like sometimes, I mean, during the Supreme Court, like while we were waiting for the DACA decision from the Supreme Court, that kept me up a lot. Um, sometimes just thinking about like our students and what they're dealing with um, and how they've been impacted during COVID. I, you know, I start thinking of like what I can do to help them. Uh, but mostly it's, it's my boyfriend like moving around and taking the covers off of me. Oh yeah, I'm guilty of that too. Cold. My partner and I fight over the covers too. Yeah. So <laughs> I get cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, what puts you to sleep? Um, a long day of work. <laughs> you have a, I mean, you do have a taxing role, so I totally get that. Um, yeah, that puts me to sleep too. Sometimes <laughs> it also keeps me up too, though. Right. I don't yeah. It's it's a it's a double edged sword. Um. But we try to do like things uh, before bed. Like last night, um, as a family, we played a board game, right? To kind of just put us to bed in a good mood, or we'll watch Brooklyn Nine Nine before bed. Oh, or, that's fun! I've heard that shows. Forever. I've heard that shows really funny. Um, I, I keep saying like Brooklyn, like the cops of Brooklyn Nine Nine are the only cops I'll ever support. Yeah. <laughs> I I've been actually watching Arrested Development. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm I'm almost done with like the original run, 
I don't think I'm going to watch the renewal because I heard it's not as good. But um, yeah, I haven't watched the renewal, but the original runs are really good. It's that Michael Sarah is just absolutely hysterical. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but Brooklyn Land Nine's on my list, so I highly recommend it. Um, we also we're watching Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, it's also a, a really one. good show. Um, so yeah, just ending the night on a good note is always good. That's crucial. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, everybody. Uh, support Vosi Skiller Frontera. Um, you know, let's uh, keep mobilizing for immigrant, immigrants' rights, for low-wage workers, and for all that are exploited under capitalism. We're not free until we're all free. We'll see you next time.